Heavenly Father, we need you more. We need that song to be in our heart, on our lips when we leave this place. We need your Holy Spirit to do something in us, to change us so we can sustain all that comes at at us this week. We thank you for the gift of worship, the feeling in the heart, the feeling in the soul, that we are victors, we are more than conquerors because we stand in you, Father. And the the only thing left is that journey, that, that slight sting as we enter into eternity. You have won the day. And even while we are here, Father, you will work all things into good. Thank you for your church. Thank you for our community, Father, where we don't walk this journey alone. But we have broken people who we share our stories with under the, the guidance and love and grace of an amazing Father. And so we yield to you now, Father. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would find any place in our hearts where we have not yielded, that we would have the courage, the boldness, the faith, and the love to lay down all for you. May your Spirit help us through the Word to see our souls and to see you, Father, in all your holiness and draw us one more step closer to your likeness. The greatest miracle, our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, you can, ha- you can have a seat. We'll work on that. If one of us claps, we all clap, all right? We gotta, we'll just do that. How's that? All right. Well, stay excited with me. I look, I look forward to this day all week. Stay excited. This is, this is a very spiritual thing we enter into as we look at the Word of God. It's also intellectual, so we tend to lose that excitement. Don't lose your excitement, even though we're preaching the Word here. Um, let's stay on fire for the Lord through this whole sermon. We'll enter the table here and uh, take communion as well to end a beautiful and glorious day. Turn to Psalm 1 with me, and we're going to do a little something different uh, through the summer. We'll call it Summer Psalms. We'll spend probably the next couple of months in the Psalms dealing with all kinds of different subjects. How many of you guys love music? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I love our music. Thank you guys. They work really hard all week to put this stuff together. Thank you guys in the sound booth. You guys do a great job. But the cool thing with the Psalms is they were originally written as songs, right? And uh, I don't know what kind of music you listen to, but think of your latest iTunes uh, album that you bought. Maybe there's 12, 13 tracks on that album. And every song speaks of a different uh, theme, different situation. Some is about a relationship. Some is about love. Some is about anger. Some is about the journey of life. Some is about confusion. Some is about just celebrating. Well, the cool thing about the Psalms is it works the same way. And we've got over a hundred psalms or songs all written for the church to sing, all written about different themes, all written rhythmically so when we sing them, when we preach to them, they, they lodge in the mind. How many of you guys still know by heart a song that you were obsessed with in high school? I know, I like hate that song now. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could get it. It's like a bad, you know, I wasn't, it was a bad, when like, Late 90s, mid 90s song or something like that. But that's the cool thing with rhythm and that's the cool thing with poetry and song. It's meant to go into our minds and stay there so we can gravitate to it and pull it back when we need it. That's the beauty of the Psalms. Um, Again, after we're done uh, with this series and after summer begins to mellow out somewhere around August, 
We're going to start talking about vision, purpose uh, for Bethel as we go forward uh, as a church. So this is the Summer Psalms, part one. And when I think of summer, you guys, and it was kind of funny, we were in San Jose yesterday and it was 99 degrees. God help those people. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We drive to Daly City, 50 minutes later, 52 degrees. So I don't even know if it's summer right now. Because I, yeah, I know it, it's amazing. Um, But when we talk about summer and we think about summer, I don't know about you, but I, I think of happiness. Man, I, th- I think of when I was like 10 and 11 and 12, and I think of the joy of summer. I want to I have a happy summer. I mean, that, that's almost like an, a, an unchristian thing to say, right? Happy, it's like, well, we're not happy, we're joyous. Now, I want to be a happy Christian. I'll justify that in just a minute. But I want to celebrate this summer as the sun begins to come out and, and the parks are full of people, and, and even though we're working or whatever, I want to feel a sense of happiness this summer, and I want you to be a people most happy. Sound like a deal? Now, what is happiness? I mean, that, I think that's one of the interesting things. It's like we all want to be happy, but it's so hard to even define what in the world happiness is. So I want to give you a working definition here, and we'll work off of this for the rest of our time this morning. Happiness is your soul being well. Think about that. Happiness is your soul being well. I mean, wellness of soul. I mean, if you think about, am I doing well? Am I doing well in life? Am I truly happy? It really comes down to this. It's it's going into the depth of who you are as a human being and asking yourself this. Am I day by day, for the most part, even in the light of everything going on in my life, am I a genuinely happy person? Do I feel good in my soul? Whew. That's big stuff. So I'm going to ask you that question. Are you happy? Am I, am I happy? Ask anyone around you what their ultimate goal in their lives is and all their accomplishments will no doubt lead to the hope of happiness. If you ask someone why they're going to college, if you ask someone why they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they're getting married, if uh, you ask them why they are traveling this summer, if you ask them why they're trying to purchase a home or whatever it may be, it ultimately ends in the quest for happiness. We do these things because we want to be happy people. But it's elusive, isn't it? It's like soap in the hands. And now, in light of all of this pursuit that we do, which is not wrong, but all that we pursue to try to accomplish, to try to find a happy life, now psychologists are saying that being more accomplished actually doesn't do much to predict whether someone's going to be happy or not. And here's why. Every time you accomplish something, and by the way, if you're a 20-something working through college or you're a grandparent loading up on grandkids, no matter what your accomplishment is, the reason it doesn't create happiness is because we're all hardwired to compare our successes with other people. And there is always someone a little better. So no matter what you hit, no matter what bar you hit, no matter where you're at in life, it doesn't create happiness to the extent you want because we're always looking at other people and we always find someone who has accomplished a little bit more. Cyclical disease. And by the way, if you're in school, that doesn't mean quit. 
All of these things are good and to be used for the Lord. Pursue buying a home and a family and all of that, but it cannot be your ultimate means to be a happy human being. Those things are designed to serve us. We are not designed to serve them to find happiness in them. And because so many people can't seem to experience genuine happiness in this human journey of ours, and it's very hard to find, here's the new pop culture response, popular culture. Here's the new thing that's coming out. And if you're in school, you've heard this in your psychology classes. And I'm not against psychology. I'm just saying it's, most of it's wrong. That's all. <laughs> David Lykin, who's a, a well-known psychologist, says this. Happiness is determined by your genes. It is not something that you can get. Trying to be happier is like trying to be taller. Now, for someone like me, that's rather despairing. So the new concept is you actually can't create more happiness or find more happiness. You're hardwired through genetics to only be so happy, so give up on the quest. I'm not okay with that. I believe being a happy person is possible. And if it is possible, here's my question to us today. Why don't more people have it? And I believe I could answer that question with a question. Could we still be looking in the wrong place? Is that the fundamental problem of why we're not enjoying our days? And as we go into summer, what if we could locate the place to look into for happiness and find it and genuinely enjoy this summer? So here's what we're going to do in a very contemporary culture, in a very contemporary city. I want to I take a look at an ancient writing to find a contemporary answer. That's the beauty of the Bible. We can go backwards to find tomorrow's answers. Because it's the same play, different actors. So we're going to look at the Psalms. And we're going to, we're going to take a peek into what, what it is to be happy, where it's found, what's its source, and how we can begin to take the steps as a community called a church to have that type of experience, especially this summer. So one point, we'll tie this whole thing together. You ready? We'll put it on the screen. Happiness is experienced by becoming a certain type of person, not by achieving certain things. Now think about that. That's going to totally flip things in our minds. Happiness is experienced by becoming a certain type of person, not by achieving a certain thing. Now I want to qualify that a little bit because certainly things or environments being healthy can produce a form of happiness. But I want us to focus on self and the soul. I want us to focus on if we become a certain type of person, no matter what happens around us, we can still maintain a happy life. Now look at Psalm 1.1. These, these aren't actually my thoughts. These are the thoughts of God. What does he say? Blessed is the man. Now, ladies, don't worry. That's all inclusive. Blessed is the human. No, 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 no. Happy is the person. That's how that can be translated. Blessed. Happy is the person. Now, I want to stop right there. Everyone look at it this way. When I read that verse, it, it opens up enormous hope for me. Happy is the person means that happiness is possible. Think about that. Now, let me speak to you gently. Some of you are uncomfortable with this already. Um, when we get into hard times, we are almost scared of the possibility of being happy. We, we are almost scared of the possibility of treading into this type of thing 
because we have been disappointed so many times. Uh, This sermon, above all, is for people like you. If you are in that season, you've got to hear this, and you've got to rehear this idea that when you're dealing with a God like we have, the Christian God, happiness is possible no matter where you're at in life, no matter what the story's been, no matter what your history is, when you're dealing with God. Now, when we say happy is the man or happy is the person, that person is one who's come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what we can say. It is possible for a person to be happy, but it starts with being saved. You with me on that? Total amen moment right there. I wish you had my back on that one. Okay, when I say saved, I mean receiving Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord and Savior, coming to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, to be brought back into a relationship with God. For those who have received salvation, for those who, have, who are saved, happiness is possible for you. Now, a level of happiness is possible for all people, but we have an exceeding rich and abundant loaded treasure house from God if we're in Christ. Now, watch what the psalmist does. You want the answer? You got to wait. Watch what the psalmist does. And the scripture does this a lot. He first shows us what we need to let go of first, and then he shows us what we need to grab a hold of. You ready? So if we're going to become happy people and find the source and go after that thing, step one is we got to let go of something, something we're trying to find happiness in. And then we've got to rediscover this new thing that we've got to grab a hold of and live in and desire and go hard after that to find true happiness. So let's start with the negative. What do we need to let go of first? Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not. So he starts with the negative. That word walks means lives a lifestyle. Blessed, happy is the person who does not live a lifestyle in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, which has happened there? Now, when he says happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, here's what's going on there. We're living within a culture, especially here in San Francisco. We are living within a culture that has a distinctly different message concerning how to become happy. And if you look at the digression in Psalm 1-1, happy is the man who does not walk, underline that word, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands, underline that word, in the way of sinners, nor sits, underline that word, in the seat of scoffers. So there's this digression of this Christian person who's walking the path of life, trying to find happiness, sees that the lost world is counseling that Christian how to be happy with all of these different philosophies and different strategies. And what he does is he's he's walking, he listens, and then he stops, and he listens, and then he gets a little closer. And then he, what does he do? He's, he sits. He sits down and, and he says, well, I've struggled finding happiness my whole life and this person looks real happy or maybe it's on the internet or maybe it's on a show or maybe it's a friend or maybe it's college or whatever it is. And we start listening in because Christianity has been insufficient to give us true direction apparently on how to be truly happy people so we start peering in a little bit we start listening 
And there's so many different avenues that they give us that we can start trying this one. And even if that one doesn't work, we can move on to this one. And, well, maybe if I do this. And sin is not a fad, but sin is a fad. Certain sins that even um, permeate this city will, will lose their interest soon. Until we are moving on to the next sin to try to find happiness. Walk, stand, sit means that there's a temptation in all of us to seek out the culture's narratives that they tell us are the sources of happiness. And we have been watching our culture so intently, and what the culture does seems to look like delight. And that's the hook, and that's why the wisdom of the first psalm is so brilliant to depict this Christian who can't find it in his God, so he begins to slow down the walk and eventually stand. And sit actually means he, he makes fellowship with. He's now in fellowship under the counsel of an unchristian culture trying to find true happiness. By the way, if you're 10 years old, if you're 20 years old, or you're 70 or 80 years old, um, this is going to be a, a battle. You guys see at some point, and here's the first step if you're going to find true happiness. At some point, we all need to accept that the experimentation with sin isn't bringing happiness. Are you with me on that? I mean, I get to the point now, I'm in my upper 30s now. I'm just now getting to the point where some of these sins that I, I'm still fighting with, I'm starting to finally tell myself, John, you have tried that over and over and over and over, and it does not make you happy. You're going to get it? So there's a certain realization that I've exhausted certain sins, and they're doing nothing. As a matter of fact, when I wake up from the fog, they are killing me. So I say this to encourage you. Release these certain sins that you keep trying to find happiness in and realize you've tried them so many times and they simply do not work. Now the positive. Psalm 1-2. But, now we have a transition in verse 2. But, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So don't look for happiness in what the culture tells us, but we can delight and find our happiness somehow, some way, in the law of the Lord. Now, that sounds crusty. That sounds puritanistic. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That sounds binding. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, by human, by human nature, we are rebellious in our souls. And anytime laws or rules are put over us, we rebel. So naturally, this just doesn't look right. Okay, that world looks a whole lot more pleasing and appealing, and it looks like it offers far more happiness than the law of the Lord. So what is this all about? The psalmist better get busy quick, or he's going to lose us. And here's what's happening here. In 1-2, when he says, look, you can actually delight in the law of the Lord and find true happiness, here's what's happening. Christians are being encouraged in verse 2 to immerse themselves in daily delight in God's word. Hoo-wee! That's not just a big book. That's the source of your joy. And that's hard because we're an anti-intellectual society for the most part. 
F pattern reading styles, right? The internet has trained us. You read the first top two lines, and then if nothing's going on that's exciting, you drop right down to the bottom of the website. And so now we pick up this big book, and apparently this is the source of our happiness, and now we have to counter all of the habits that we have in our heads and actually read this thing and begin to somehow delight in it because it's going to lead us into a happy life. Now, he doesn't just say delight. He says delight in the law of the Lord. Now, I want you to look down at verse 2 in the Bible there. This isn't some list of rules. That's not what the law of the Lord is pointing to. And this is why you can delight in it. This is why it brings happiness. This is why you can start to create a, a hunger and a thirst for the Bible. It's not a list of rules. It's life-giving guidance to become a certain type of person. There's a reason I love the Word. On my iPad, I have an ESV audio app, and I, I laid down last night and I put my iPad next to my head and I played the Psalms and I must have got through 15 different Psalms and I was a wreck when I laid down. I was a wreck. I was worried. I was frustrated. I was hopeless. I was agitated. And by the end of those Psalms going into my head, I was refreshed in a man that was most happy in God. So what is happening inside of us? Well, first of all, there's a, there's a great encouraging confidence and delight to know that the God of creation and the one who wired me is guiding me to become a certain type of person. And the beauty of the Bible is when your minds, when your soul are in a rhythm with God through his word as you're reading it and he's saying, no son, no, no, no daughter, no, no loved one, no loved always, we don't do that, we do this, I love you. And when your mind and your soul are in rhythm with God, there is a peace that life is being lived within God's design that is so satisfying. I feel that like that kid sitting down by the river under the shady tree reading a book in the summer. And when I was listening to those psalms and God was speaking to me through the word of God, my mind and heart began to get in back into rhythm with God, kind of like a tuning fork, which we don't use anymore. But you have this one tuning fork that you hit, and all the instruments kind of get behind that sound, and they're all in tune now, and they're all working one way. When I hear God's word spoken to me through the Holy Spirit, when I hear it, it comes into my mind, and my, my heart rhythms, and my thinking rhythms, and my soul rhythms are all now in rhythm with the Almighty God, and I find this refreshing happiness that, look, I am in tune with God right now, let come what may I'm, I'm in line with him right now and that is why God wants us to bring all of life before him I need to be bringing my heart constantly before his word and reading his word and saying Holy Spirit speak to me through this book tell me where I'm off and get me back in tune with Jesus Christ over and over again last night I heard this praise the Lord in the Psalms, praise the Lord. John, praise the Lord. Has he ever failed you? The psalmist would sing to me. Has he ever failed you? Praise the Lord. What are you worried about? He's sovereign. Praise the Lord. He's in control. You're bound in goodness. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'm looking at my iPad going, I'm, I'm praising the Lord. I'm okay. The psalmist is singing to me. He's saying, hey, John, track number four, encouragement. All right? If you didn't get it enough, walk outside if you can see through the fog of Daly City. God threw the stars up just to remind you how awesome he is and he's in control. 
Praise the Lord. I'm in tune with God. I walk out and I see my wife. I cannot help but to praise the Lord and treat her right at that point. At least for 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm working on it. God wants us to bring all of life before him, before his word and read it. Not take the counsel of that world when we're down, but take the counsel of God and find the places we're out of tune with God and and allow the word to reorder our ways. How else can we experience God's healing, God's revealing power, God's loving confrontation and his forgiving love? How else can it penetrate to the darkest corner of our secret places in our hearts unless we open the door and let in the light of his word? I love the word. I'm with John Piper. When he, when he had to discover the word afresh. And he says it was like for years just walking around this, this dusty trail and uh, looking to the left, looking to the right. There was nothing there. It was just this dusty road. And, and then he began to learn to love the word of God. And, and as he opened it up, it was the most amazing experience. He, he describes it, he likens it to an orchard that he walks into. And everywhere he looks, there's these amazing green trees and all of this low-hanging fruit. And he says, I was amazed and shocked and I am still blown away that this small of a sphere could hold that much guidance and awesomeness. He says in one too, but his delight is in the guidance of God. We delight in God's word when we see the beauty of God as the word reorders our lives. I have, I don't have a perfect marriage. Goodness, just spend some time talking to my wife. But I want, I want to share this with you. The reason the word is beautiful is because what I, what I can look back and see what it's done to me as a sinner. I have become a better man because I have been able to look at this word and say, John, you can't treat her that way. Stop. Jesus is treating people different than you treat your wife. Stop. And it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, John, look at how I'm laying out the example. Love her. She's precious. She's a gift to you. And I make those small adjustments. That's where the delight comes from. When I see the beauty of God as the word has reordered my life over and over again. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 19. Boy, is this ever a truth. Are you guys good out there? Okay, you're always so quiet. (laughs) Just want to make sure we're good. I'm insecure. Look at Psalm 119.19. Man, I love this thought, guys. We need this as a community, a church. I am a sojourner on the earth. Now, you know what? When you got saved, like, the joke was kind of on you. You know what I'm saying? In a really good way. Like, you, you can't fit anymore the way you used to. It doesn't mean, like, we got to be weird. Please don't do that. But at the same time, he says we're now sojourners here. We're in a different reality now with Christ. Our minds are being renewed. We desire new things. We don't desire other things. And we didn't do any of it. The Holy Spirit invaded us. 
So he says, I'm a sojourner here on this earth. I, I don't quite fit in. and I, I, I need to relearn all ways of life. I need to relearn how to think about myself, my wife, my family, money, sex, education, everything. And so he says, hide not your commandments from me, God. Guide me, speak to me. Tell me, as someone who no longer fits here the same way, tell me how to get through this thing. I need you, Lord. And the Lord says, I delight in doing that. Come and feast. He says in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. The words in this book are my delight. Why? Why? Because they are my counselors. Every word in this book is counseling John Maroos how to be like Jesus Christ. You know, we do, I've done premarital and postmarital counseling, by the way. You kind of need them both. Marriage is tough on my wife because of me. And, and we often have told couples, there, there's no such thing as marital counseling per se. There's only you, husband, learn the ways of God. And you, wife, learn the ways of God. And when you guys come together day by day, day by day, day by day as you grow in the Lord Jesus, you're going to naturally begin to treat each other better. It's, it's the walk with God. It's the word of God. You're test- God, I love your Bible. Why? Because they keep telling me how to live, verse 24. And I don't know how to live. You want to know how I'm leading this church? I mean, you think I've got like all these strategies and books? All the books in my office, if you've seen them, they're all fake. There's a, there's a fake closet behind them. <laughs> I'm just looking at this book to lead this church. Prince Caspian, I got to do it. A little Narnia. He says this as he's sailing in his, in his boat. As the dawn treader is going forth, here's what he says. Think of the beauty of growing as a Christian. He goes like this. Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different? Isn't that just like the Christian experience of growing into the image of Christ? You don't feel like you're becoming more like Jesus. Day by day, you can't see it. But when you look back, it's amazing what God has done through his word. It's absolutely staggering to think, how did I even get here? The word of God. Probably the hardest part of the Christian walk is consistently not only reading the word of God, but delighting in the word of God. Look at Psalm 1-2. Here's what he says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now watch this. And on his law he what? Let's say it together. And on his law he? He meditates day and night. Here's what he's saying. What we need to do is call God's word to mind constantly. And even in the midst of the most mundane parts of life, we need to know what we've read and call them into the most mundane of situations so we respond to all things like Christ. That's the power of the word of God. I read it in the morning. We call it illumination. I read it in the morning. I put it in my mind. And guys, I'm in Deuteronomy right now. And you're like, oh, the, the Bible's so boring. But just reading something like Deuteronomy gives you the image of what good is and what evil is. I mean, even if you just get that out of it. 
And it's pretty powerful stuff because as I put the word of God in my mind, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, what the Holy Spirit does is I go out on my day. I'm going to lunch. I'm meeting with this person. Maybe I'm getting frustrated. Maybe I'm getting discouraged. Maybe I'm starting to say the things I shouldn't be saying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, John, you remember what we read this morning? You remember what we read this morning? And I stop. You remember what Jesus did? Remember how Jesus said it? Remember how Jesus taught? Remember how he treated his enemies? And I go, yeah, Lord. Man, I'm happy. It's the happiness of the quiet conscience. You get that? When when, when the conscience is quiet, that is where you're going to find that serenity you're looking for. And isn't it interesting, you guys, as we try to accumulate things in degrees, I've got a couple of them, I get it. When you put all this stuff together, if the, if the conscience isn't quiet because you're out of tune with God, none of it matters. Oh, but to be a poor pauper walking with God with a mind that's in tune. So Christians, I want you to hunger for the word of God. And I want to say something to you because I'm hearing a lot of this lately and it's okay, but I want to say something to you. Christian people seem to always be after some miraculous experience to be changed. Is that wrong? No. No. That's fine. But God has given you his word so you can become the miracle you're looking for. The miracle of a brand new person. So we put the word into our minds and the spirit reminds us who we are day by day by bringing it, reminding us of Jesus, Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You know what he's saying there? All your circumstances can change around you. All the seasons of life can change. But if you're planted in the word of God, if you're becoming like Jesus Christ, you won't lose your happiness because your happiness is found in the person you're becoming, not in the outward experience that can be lost so easily. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does He prospers. So I say this to close and to encourage. And when life seasons, when life circumstances shift, I'm still happy in God because of the person I'm becoming. And nothing can take that from me. Like a child on summer break, grab this book, find some place to read it, talk about it with friends, gather to hear it taught, and be becoming the miraculous person God has designed you to be through his word. Let's pray. And if you're here and you are not a Christian, I have been where you are. And I am a living testimony of a man who pursued everything. Philosophy, education, success, fame. 
relationships. And I was found wanting. Until I was told from the precious word of God that God so loved the world, including me and all of my brokenness, that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead. So all that I have done wrong that separates me from God could be erased. I was told that as dark as my life may have been, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I tell you the same thing this morning. If you are tired of the journey, tired of trying to find happiness, there is a true source and author of it all. And it is God. And He is a delightful God. And He will give you new life and guide you through His Word. He will give you a new community of, of broken people to go through life together through His Word. And so I would encourage you where you sit in the quietness of your own heart, if you've never prayed a prayer before in your life, the best way you know how right now you would ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and save you. And I pray if you've done that this morning after the service, you would share that with us so we can help you. And for us who are Christians, Bethel, let's be a church of the word. Let's be a, be a people of the book. When revival came to Nehemiah's time, they cried out, bring the book. Let's pray to that end. Pray it out this morning.